God. We love you because you first loved us. We honor you for honoring us and coming to this earth. May we hear your voice today and be transformed by your spirit. Thank you for every person here. I pray everyone would have a sense of the touch of God in their hearts, their minds, and their lives. Every distraction laid aside, every truth made known, freedom for all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, good morning, community of faith. Thank you, crew. We have uh, actually Jason on the drums today. He and his wife, Emma, go to our sister church, the River Church, and he was kind enough to come over. Let's hear it for Jason coming over today. He's a great guy and great band. Thank you, Becca, for leading us out. Uh, also, uh, Mark Buckner's speaking at the River Church today, and so we gave of our very own. It's a, it's a nice family uh, family thing we got going here. Well, it's a joy to be here today, uh, and I want to introduce someone very special to me, and just want to say that uh, we want to give opportunity from time to time uh, to give people chances to share their heart. When people have something that is important in their heart, I want to get it before um, before the people. And uh, so that's something that I've desired. Uh, if you remember, uh, after a series uh, a couple of months ago, Matt Plummer shared with us a wonderful word, the leader of our uh, um, young adults ministry, and it was, it was a wonderful word. We've had several testimonies shared recently, and uh, we have someone that I'd asked a while back. His name is Rob Surratt. Why don't you come on up, Rob? <clears throat> Rob and his wife, Emily, uh, have been at CFC. How long have you been here, man? Three years? Four? Almost four. Wow. And uh, I had the pleasure of marrying this couple and seeing Rob and Emily through their lives, and they're expecting a little one soon. But Rob is uh, one that works and helps to oversee our urban ministry. And uh, really, the reason I asked Rob to do what he's doing or to speak today is because he does what he says. And that's really something that's important to all of us. He's going to share with us today. Uh, on who is my neighbor, and I think you'll enjoy it. But I want to pray for Rob a minute, and then he can give us the word. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, Rob. Thank you that you have saved, delivered, and healed Rob. And you've given him his wife and his child to be here. We thank you that he's a part of our community and our fellowship. I pray, as I prayed this week, that this word would not just be a teaching word, but it would be a prophetic word for us. It would be a word that lifts us into the destiny that you have for us. And we thank you for that. Uh, in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have, oh, All right. You got it. Have at it. We good? You guys can hear me? Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Um, morning, church. How you guys doing today? Good, good. It's good to see all you guys' faces. Um, like Jeff said, my name is Rob Surratt, and I am a leader with the Urban Ministry team here at CFCF. Um, I am the husband to my beautiful wife, Emily, up front, and I just got a shout out to my wife. She has made life so much sweeter, and I experience more of God's grace every day um, through her. And um, Jeff says this about Sarah, but sometimes I ask the Lord, well, it took so long. I was ready when I was 22, but it took a couple years after that. Um, and uh, I just want to honor, I mean, people usually get up here, they get to give their shout out, so I'm going to get my shout out in my roll call real quick, too. 
Um, first thing I want to do is I want to give a shout out uh, just to our leadership, the men and the women who uh, serve our church. Having been at the full-time ministry at one point in my life, um, years ago, I can tell you that serving is a 24-7 thing, and there is no off time, and it is challenging. It is demanding not only on yourself, but on your family, and so to the men and women, um, I don't want to name because I don't want to miss people, but just the men and women of our church, just hand clap to you guys. Thank you. Um, I also want to just thank Jeff Bianchi uh, for coming up here and preach every week. And to those of you who've ever had to make a sermon, uh, prepare for a sermon, you know why I am tipping my hat and thanking Jeff for his heart. It is an exhausting thing. And on top of that, Jeff meets with people at Starbucks. He takes time out of his day. He receives call at eight o'clock at night when most of us are probably spending time with our families and he loves people well. Um, And so Jeff, I love you, brother. I thank you for your heart, for the gospel and your unashamed willingness to go to the ends of the earth to see people hear the good news. Um, it is with great joy that I get to be up here in front of you guys today and preach the gospel. I love the gospel. The gospel has changed my life. And I love that I can come up in front of you and that I can preach the word that has changed me. Today, if you will open up your Bibles with me, we're going to be reading from the 10th chapter of Luke and the 25th verse. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version or the Reformed version. Just joking. (laughs) All right. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, the priest who was going down that road And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Pray with me for a minute. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you love us in spite of our sin. 
and that you love us in spite of our wretchedness, and that you save us because of your goodness. We thank you that you have satisfied the payment for our rebellion. And because of that, we can be united with you. Change our hearts today. May each person walk out. And God, may you use me, the broken piece of flesh that I am, that I might bring forth your word and give you honor as a reflection of the work that you've done in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've all heard this story before, to some extent. You know, the interesting thing about the Good Samaritan is that even if you never went to church before as a young kid, you still probably heard about the Good Samaritan, right? It's a good thing to do. You're a neighbor to your neighbor. You love those around you. You help them out. You do the right thing. I remember as a youngster in the church, uh, I used to go to Sunday school and they'd be like, you got to be a good kid. You got to do the right thing. Be, the, be like the Good Samaritan because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, I think there's good intentions behind that, but I think sometimes we miss the point of really what Jesus does for us. It's not a works righteousness. It's his righteousness work. When I was a kid, there was a neighbor who used to live near me, and his name was Reese. And I didn't like Reese all that much. Uh, It's not that he was mean. He was actually pretty nice. It just was that I didn't really think dude was all that cool. So one day, we were having a vegetable stand in my front yard because my mom grew vegetables. And I figured, why not make some money off the fruit of my mother's labor? So we had the vegetable stand out front. And as people were passing by, we were selling vegetables. Well, Reese came by. It was me and some of my friends from the neighborhood, and he wanted to join in. And I told Reese, look, nobody wants you here. Just go home. We don't want to kick it with you, man. Just go back to your house. A little while later, his dad came back with him. And his dad told us that we had to play with him. Now, I was a pretty rebellious and stubborn little kid. So I told his dad, no. We're not going to play with him. Nobody wanted him there, and that we're not going to let him join in. Eventually, his dad left. But I remember thinking later, and still do to this day, I don't understand why I couldn't just have let him sell vegetables with us. You know, the thing of it is, is that I didn't want Reese to be my neighbor, and I didn't want him to be mine. To better understand this story that we just read, we need to look first in the Old Testament. Now, I love the Old Testament, all right? I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're both awesome, but I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament takes everything that I see fulfilled in the new and blows my mind. Prophecies of Jesus, the line of Judah, the great high priest, the way that he fulfills these things absolutely transforms my ideas of it. And so, I'm going to do a little plug for a book, and that's it, and then we'll get back, okay? Um, This is the Old Testament study guide. It's called Casket, and it is written by a professor that I had, Carol Kaminsky. This is an extremely comprehensive book to show everyone big pictures, to be able to track when you're in certain books and you feel lost. This book will help pull everything together. That's it, Amazon.com. I want to tell you guys a little thing about Samaritans. 
Samaritans were from a town called Samaria in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. Okay? Now, when Saul and when David were kings over Israel, and Solomon as well, the, the kingdom was united. It was one kingdom. However, when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, came into power, the land was divided. Now, the land was divided because a man by the name of Jeroboam, a lot of crazy names, right? A man by the name of Jeroboam came up to Rehoboam and he said, look, your father made us work really, really hard. We have toiled laboriously. Please lighten our load. Make it less. And Rehoboam, instead of receiving the advice and the counsel of the wise elders within his circle, he took the younger individuals within his circle of advice, his homies, his boys, whoever they might be. And instead, he said, I will not only not lessen your load, but I will increase it. So Jeroboam and 10 tribes went to the north. And then two tribes plus the tribe of Levite stayed in the south. That was Benjamin and Judah. So Jerusalem's in the south, Samaria's in the north. In 722 BC, because of prophecy, God saying, I'm going to destroy you, Assyria overran the northern kingdom and they overtook Samaria. Now, what we got to understand is that Assyria had a tactic of war. And that was called, we remove some of you, we bring some of us, and then we get a whole new culture altogether. So that's what they did. They mixed the two together. Samaritans were then seen as half-breeds. That's what they were referred to. It was a mix of the Assyrian culture with Israeli culture to form a new culture. The story opens up in the 25th verse. We've got a lawyer. He's trying to justify himself. A lawyer was someone who would have known the law of Moses. He would have known it front and back, and his responsibility would have been to convey that information to other faithful Israelites. The lawyer is asked a question. Well, actually, he asks a question, then Jesus asks him a question, and he answers Jesus' question correctly. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lets him know, you've answered correctly. But then he wants to know, who is his neighbor? The lawyer believes that what he is doing is right. He's upholding the law. But what he's doing is he's loving those that he's comfortable with loving. People that don't push him outside of the box. Now he has the right ambition, right? He wants to inherit eternal life. But he's doing it the wrong way. He's trying on his own merit to make it there. There are a couple of characters that we look at in this parable. We've got the man who's lying on the side of the road. We got a band of robbers. We got a priest. We got a Levite. And we got the Samaritan. This Jewish man was on his route back from Jerusalem to where he lived in Jericho. Now, this route was in between mountains with crooks and crevices where people could hide and steal stuff from people, beat them up. It was a very dangerous route. Most people traveled in bands and groups so that they were safe. But this man's traveling alone. He's got no one with him. The robbers beat him, and they leave him for half dead. Now, there are two guys who pass him by first. 
The first one is a priest. And you know, I always thought, even with my limited understanding as a young, young man, that you know what, Shirley, this priest is going to stop and help this guy, right? He's got to. I mean, I hear this term priest all the time when I listen to someone in Sunday school talking about the Old Testament. It only makes sense that he will stop and, pa- he will stop and help him. But he doesn't. Instead, he passes by on the other side. You see, the priest was more concerned with his own safety and well-being than he was for the man's. The priest didn't want to be his neighbor because it was not comfortable for him. And then we have this Levi who comes by, right? So the Levite, just to go back to the priest real quick, the priest is the most revered religious man in all of Israel. And so, according to Old Testament law, he's the most likely to stop and help this man. But then when the Levite comes, he's second. He's second to be the most likely to help him. He can touch the untouchables. He can reach out to those who are sick and in hurt and in pain. But he keeps moving by on the side. Why? Because the Levite is more concerned with himself and his own well-being than the well-being of others. And then comes the Samaritan, right? Samaritan comes along, and you know, up until recently, I used to always think, yeah, he's going to stop. You know, third time's a charm. Dude's going to stop. He's going to help brother man out, get him better. He's going to keep him moving on his way. But as I have read through the Old Testament, And as I've looked at what happened in Samaria, I've got to be honest, my initial reaction is there's no way he's going to stop and help. If the first two didn't do it, he certainly is not going to do it. There's no way he's going to do it. I mean, it's Samaria. And from what I know, Samaria abandoned the king of Judah. Judah's line was the chosen line for a kingship. And so there's no reason that a Samaritan should have left Judah. Even if the king was that awful and that horrific, they still should have stayed with the kingdom, but they abandoned them. They left for their own desire, and in doing so, abandoned God. But you know what? He does stop. Now we have to think from this man's perspective. Now I think that I can arguably state that this man is Jewish. He is an Israelite, and he is a faithful Israelite. He is on his way back from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the only reason that a person would have traveled to Jerusalem only to return to Jericho is for the fact that they're going up to the temple that's in Jerusalem to worship God. He sees the two people coming, and he thinks to himself probably at first, Here comes the priest. Surely this is my salvation. Surely this is the one who's going to help me. And if he could have said anything, I bet you he was not silent. But the priest passed him by. And then comes the Levite. And the Levite does the same exact thing. He passes him by. And the Jewish man is probably thinking, this is it. This is my salvation. But no, he keeps going. And finally comes the Samaritan. And I'm guessing that he was probably thinking, all right, I'm just going to die, man. (laughs) 
It's a done deal. There's no way. I mean, I fought a good fight. You know, I lived a pretty good life, I guess. I mean, this is it. This is final call. I'm just going to end up dying here. But the Samaritan sees the man who is beaten, and he sees him as his neighbor, and his compassion compels him to stop. Brothers and sisters, I can relate to everyone in this story. And to some extent, I have a similar situation to all of them. I have, I have been in situations where I see the needs of somebody else, but because it interferes with my comfortability or what I'm doing at that specific time, I, like the priest and the Levite, pass by on the other side. Just the other week, I was driving around, my, around where I work, which is close to where my wife and I live, and I saw a kid get jumped by three other kids. I was in my car. He was sitting in the front seat of his mother's car, and they were wailing on him. And I just sat there and watched. Somewhat out of fear, but somewhat out of the thought, what does this concern me? I mean, they beat the heck out of this kid. And even now, thinking about it breaks my heart. The man on the road to Jerusalem probably wanted the priest and the Levite to stop and help him. They were his neighbors. They were his clique. They were his culture. They were what was comfortable. They were the ones that were supposed to help him. They were supposed to be his salvation. But the one that saves him is the Samaritan. And again, let me remind everyone, he is seen as a half breed. I want us to get that thought in our mind because it is a horrifying name, a derogatory name to be called that. And even though he is still half dead, there's probably something that he would have thought. That is, there's no way I want help from this guy. I'm all set. I know who he is. I can tell by the way that he's dressed. I can tell how he looks. He's a Samaritan, and I'm good. Or maybe, maybe he was desperate. Maybe he thought, this is all I got going on. Those first two guys kept it moving. So I need help from this man. So often, even in pain and suffering, we still have our reservations. All we know about this is that the man is dying. And so the important question for him is, will this person save me? And the great part is this. The Samaritan doesn't just save him. He saves him with extravagance. He has compassion on a man who probably, given the reverse circumstances, would have never stopped for him. He pours oil on his wounds. He wraps up his scars. He places him on his donkey, and he walks with him to the next closest town to put him up in an inn. He pays for what is the equivalent in today's money for two nights in a fancy hotel, then leaves two denarii, which are the equivalent of a two days wages, so that this man will be set no matter what the circumstances are. And if that isn't enough, the Samaritan says, 
whatever this man incurs, whatever he needs, I will settle the debt when I come back. Not him, me. I settle it. And the funny thing is that at the end of this story, the guy who is talking with Jesus is asked, which person was the neighbor? And the lawyer answers him, the one that showed mercy was the neighbor. And then Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. Jesus challenges a lawyer who studies the law of the Old Testament, who is a Jew of Jews, to go and act like a Samaritan, who he views as less than. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus came to the earth, everyone was waiting for the returning king. They were, return, they were waiting for the splendor and pomp of the days of David and Solomon. Problem is, Christ didn't come that way. He came as a humble, suffering servant. And instead, instead of a victorious leader that everyone wanted him to be. He didn't destroy Rome like the disciples wanted him to do. And he didn't rebuild the physical stone temple that was in Jerusalem, that was where everybody went up to worship. No, he didn't do those things. Instead, he loved. He showed compassion. He showed mercy. He showed grace. And he died the most awful death to atone for everyone's sin. Yeah, Christ did not come in the way that the Israelites expected or others. And because of that, sadly, many have and continue to miss it. Jesus is the one who, when he comes, is the most unexpected Savior. He is the one that we look at when we are all bloodied and alone and for some crazy reason pushed to the side. When we're desperate, though, when we've reached our bottom, though, we see the reality of his grace. We see the beauty of his glory. And we can do nothing but respond, yes, Savior, Lord, God. You see, the gospel compels us not only to realize our need of the Savior and the way that he saves, but then requires that we go out and do the same exact thing that he has done for us. For some of us, this might be going to areas that you're not comfortable with. You know, I have a lady that I work with that my wife knows well. She even smiled as I just said it. And the name of this lady is uh, Estelle Kelly, or as I know her, Nana. Nana adopted me as a grandson when I started working with her. Nana has... 25 biological, and I believe three adopted grandchildren now. Um, she has like, Lord, I don't even know, probably 15 adopted kids. She's like a matriarch of her, of her community. One thing that I've learned from Nana is how to give. More than anybody else who's ever taught me in my life, and I can tell you, my dad is a very extravagant giver, but Nana Kelly has 
taught me how to give. There have been multiple times when she would just give me money or she would give me something to eat or she would give me a call and just say, hey, how you doing, baby? Love you so much. I hope you're doing well, right? And the interesting thing is that she gave at the expense of herself to someone who didn't look like her. You see, my Nana is black and I'm white. But our color does not divide us. Her love for me and my love for her unifies us. And she gives in amazing ways. I have been with her multiple times at bus stops or on street corners, and she just pulls out money that she's taking to pay a bill with and gives it to someone who's asking for it, who might or might not be using that money for the right reasons. But it doesn't matter to her. She gives anyway. And when I ask her, Nana, how can you do that? You've got to pay for your bills. You've got to pay for your telephone. And she says, Rob, it's okay, baby. Jesus will work it out. Brothers and sisters, and I call you brothers and sisters because by Christ's blood, for those who stand under his atoning grace, we are unified as his family. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the good Samaritan of the story. And I'm not alone. I'm not some crazy guy who's standing up here saying, look, this is what I think and I believe. No, there's plenty of people who from Jesus' time until now have studied this scripture and come to believe that Jesus is telling the story about himself. Timothy Keller looks at the parable of the lost son and he sees, and Timothy Keller sees that the father is actually Jesus, Right? And that Jesus is the good son who does come out. So we're not going to sidestep. But Jesus is the good Samaritan. Like I said, maybe I didn't. But parables have immense kingdom meaning. When Jesus tells a parable, there is a reason for it. This was part of the culture at the time of the turn of the, turn of the, whatever it would be, turn of, you know, from BC to 80. Right? <laughs> This was part of what they did. They told parables. They did midrashes, okay, which were really popular in Jewish culture. Jesus is a good Samaritan. And I believe, as do others, that the enemy is the robbers. However, we are the priest, the man on the road, the Levite. And so often, so often, we look for self-helps that we want so badly to work for us. We act like the priest who tries to make his own way there. We act like the lawyer who's trying to find his own works righteousness to inherit eternal life. Then comes the Samaritan, right? An unlikely savior, if I've ever seen one. Jesus comes and he cleans us. When we try to hide in our own selves, he saves us from sin and death. CFCF, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's well known. I am most comfortable in what some people would call the hood. As I call it, my neighborhood and my community. But some people call it the hood. And I, at times, call it the hood. But... 
God wants me to be around the financial district too. He wants me to interact with the professionals of our city. Now, today I purposely wore a fitted hat and the clothes that I normally wear in front of you to draw emotion out of you. My question is, what was your reaction to me when you saw me get on stage to preach the sermon? Did you know that I'm a college graduate? Did you know that I'm studying for my Master's of Divinity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Roxbury, Massachusetts? Did you know that I can translate the Bible in both ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek? Now, I don't say these to give myself laurels to puff myself up in the same way that Paul defended himself. Instead, I say them so that you know them. We must engage with those who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, eat what we eat, chill where we chill, do what we do. We must step outside of where we are comfortable. Because, brothers and sisters, the gospel has no restrictions. The gospel moves forward across cultures, across races, across across languages, over meals. It moves and it continues to move and no one can stop it. I know that God challenges me to be around the well-off and the not-so-well-off. We are to love the young and the old. We are, we are to love those of our culture and individuals of other cultures, those inside our sphere and those outside of our sphere. The gospel challenges us to rethink so many things. We have to rethink who are my neighbors and how am I going to love them. Your neighbors are not just those in Brighton, Watertown, or Newton, but they are in Dorchester, Roslindale, and Roxbury. They are not just in Brookline or Back Bay or the South End, but they are in Mattapan and in Hyde Park. They don't just wear Gap or J. Crew, but they wear Rockaware and Mecca. They don't just speak with your form of English dialect, but they speak outside of your dialect. They might not look like you, they might not talk like you, but they bleed red just like you. And they need Jesus just like you. Our neighbors are whoever we come across because even though Christ at one time might have seemed like this Samaritan who we wanted nothing to do with, he became the most beautiful sight to behold. And that, my brothers and sisters... Is who our neighbor is. And Jesus, just as Jesus told the man to go and do likewise, I charge you with the same gospel truth. Ben, would you come to the stage at this time? As they're coming, I'm going to read a quote, and then I'm going to give a challenge. This quote was uh, from a sermon that was delivered by an African-American pastor at the turn of the century, uh, going into Reconstruction. His name is Francis J. Grimke, and he preached a lot on race relations. And he says, it is much easier, I know, to preach Christi Christianity than to live it. But whether hard or easy, it must be done. For preaching without living, it is of very little value.
you guys can stop playing. I would challenge our church in this next week to sit down with someone who does not look like us, talk like us, act like us, someone who is not inside of our realm, and to have a cup of coffee or break bread. I'm big on breaking bread. I love eating with people. I think eating with someone is one of the biggest avenues to totally demolish any walls that we put up. As Jeff was talking about, some walls come down, other walls we put up. This is a wall that has to come down. I would challenge you to listen to their story. Hear their hearts. Hear their pain. They come from suffering just like you do. They come from brokenness just like you do. And they need Jesus just like you do. And I'm not doing this or challenging you because I want you to do something that Rob Surratt thinks is a really good idea for you to do. No, I am pleading with the gospel that has changed your heart. If you have been changed by the gospel, I am pleading to that inner part, the Holy Spirit inside of you, to compel you to go out and do likewise. And I would also say, I know that Jeff's going to come up, but I just feel like this is a moment to say it. If you have never received Jesus, this is who Jesus is. He is the one who will come and meet you where you're at. He doesn't expect you to change or flip it up. There will be things that will come off of you as you move down the road. But he meets you where you're at. He comes as the gentle, loving, suffering servant who binds up your wounds, pours oil on you, and heals you. And if that is you, if you feel like this is what I need, turn to someone, find someone that you're comfortable with, and just say, look, I want to follow this good Samaritan wherever he's going to lead me. May the Lord bless you all and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace.